today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Taking that much time, taking that much effort, absolutely. And how desperately we need to do that, individually, as families, and as a church, in the midst of all the busyness and the craziness of life. Again, a declaration of we know where our strength is, we know where our hope is, we know where our source is, and it's not in us. It's not in us rushing and pushing and manufacturing and being able to do it. No, Lord, you are our hope, you are our source. Imagine writing down all the words of the law. Joshua, after defeating the enemies of Ai, wrote the law out on stones. In today's message, Pastor David highlights the importance of slowing down and taking time to remind ourselves of what God has said. Such a thing shows us that it is God in whom we trust and where our strength and hope lie. What are you doing in the midst of the busyness of your life to remind yourself that your life, your hope, and your source are in God alone? Will you take time to do that today? Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, A Defeated Foe. committed that far, God revealed his further plan. Satan thought he could win at the cross, and yet God had a whole other plan. Just as the enemy thought that he was winning, he was actually falling into the very trap leading up to his defeat. With the death of Christ at the cross, it set up the resurrection of Christ from the grave and the defeat of the plan of Satan. Here outside Ai, God has a plan also to defeat Ai, and they're just sucked right into it. Oh, this is, hey, this is a great deal. We're going to go out. We're going to take care of Israel. We're going to defeat them this time. And they just fell right into the plan and the purpose that God had given Joshua and the people of Israel to be able to destroy them. Just when Ai thought that they were winning, what does verse 18 say? Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that's in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city, and they took it. They hurried to set the city on fire, and when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken place, had taken the city, that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. 
once the king of Ai and his men came out pursuing after Joshua and the men, pulled far enough away from the city, then Joshua stretched out his spear toward the city. And that was a sign to those that were in ambush behind Ai to come into the city. All of the armed men of Ai, they were outside. They were gone after Joshua and his small little band of warriors. They had left the city virtually defenseless. And as the men of Ai suddenly saw the smoke from behind them, coming from their city that they just left. And they knew that everybody was out. All the fighting men were gone. All that was left back there were families. And he says, as soon as that happened, I believe that they had this overwhelming rush of absolute despair. Uh, for them, you know, it was a, truly a, a shock and awe for them. They got out there, and then suddenly their city is on fire. They had to realize defeat at that point in time, even right then. The word says that they had no power to flee this way or that. I think that all of their bravery, all of their boldness, all of that was now gone. Joshua and his troops, they turned. They began charging after them. And about that same time, those who had been in the city set it on fire, came out of the city. They're rushing toward the men of Ai. So from both directions, they're coming. The king of Ai uh, and, and his army, they're stuck right there in the middle. No way to escape, no way or energy to get out of the way. And so Israel, the word says, struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. Interesting when we think about this, the people of Jericho, the people of Ai, along with the other people of that land, you need to realize for many, many years they had lived in such corruption, such wickedness, and such perversion that God required Joshua to destroy them all. That was God's plan and design. Why? Because of the perversion, because of the wickedness of all that was there. The land was going to be Israel's, but it needed to be purged of all the wickedness of the cultures, all the wickedness of the people who for years had paid homage to pagan gods and to goddesses in every kind of strange and bizarre worship that you could imagine. For years and years this had gone on. Human sacrifices, child sacrifices, all kinds of pagan and idolatrous worship with every kind of sexual perversion that, that you could even, you don't even want to imagine. These nations had long ago, they had turned away from any knowledge of God that they might have gained during the time of Abraham. Remember, Abraham lived in that area for quite a while. You don't think that Abraham might have shared the reality and the truth of what's going on in his life? What about the influence of God for Jacob and his sons and his family that were there long before they went off to Egypt during the famine? Jacob and his family were there. Abraham was there. Isaac was there. Their God, the reality and the truth of their God throughout that land. But now for some 400 years, over. Now they've turned away if they ever began to follow at all. And now they're following these pagan gods to the very filth of the depth that they could. They rejected truth. They rejected light. They rejected the hope, the message of God. And turning instead to these lies, this darkness, this despair of the enemy. And you know what? I see our nation turning the same way. Moving ever so quickly into the darkness, celebrating sin celebrating perversion, showcasing and, and making money off the vileness of the sin of mankind. 
We see it on the news. Can't even watch the news. Our nation continues like a, a snowball just to continue to run in darkness, to showcase it, to display it, and literally to be proud of our inclusion. We are including the darkness, and we're proud of it as a nation. How long will our nation stand? How long can we stand if we continue to turn our backs on the truth of God's Word? Well, back in the land of Canaan, verse 23, says that the king of Ai they took alive and they brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded. So Joshua burned Ai, made a heap forever, a desolation to this day. Verse 29, And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise up over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Do you remember what they did with Achan after his sin and after they discovered his sin? The same thing. They stoned him until the stones just became a pile, a memorial for his sin. Now they've destroyed, utterly destroyed the city. The people that lived in it took all the spoil out of the city that they wanted. Utterly devastated the city. Then took the king, the leader of that city, hung him on a tree, and then finally took his body off and just piled stones again as a memorial. The battle was over. God had given them a great victory. Jericho had fallen. It was no more. Ai had fallen. It was no more. A wise commander of any invading force at that point in time would continue to move on with that momentum. They'd continue to press on to go against the enemies, to continue conquering that land. But God. But God had a different plan. And again, God doesn't move the way that we think sometimes that he ought to move. At this point in time, his ways Again, they're not our ways. Now he takes, just as you remember when they came across the Jordan, the, you know, the mass, they knew that the people of Jericho were fearful and worried. And so they came across the Jordan. And what did God have them do? Circumcise all the men. Well, your whole army here is absolutely useless for a few days. That doesn't make sense in our understanding. And now here they've come and they've defeated Jericho. Now they finally defeated Ai. Now what are you going to do? We need to have a worship service. We need to come together. But but we've got this battle we've got to fight. You know, sometimes the most important thing that you can do in the rush and in the press of everything that's going on is just to stop and allow the Lord to minister to you and to you to minister to him. Just to stop in the midst of the craziness, the rush of things. And listen, I'm bad at that. I come in and I think, well, I've got to get this done, I've got to get that done, I've got to get to, I've got to take care of this, I've got to get over here, we need to do all these things. And the word, doesn't it say, hey, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. And you know what? It's when you stop and when you pause and you allow him to minister to you and you're ministering to him that you can accomplish so much more because then guess what? 
You're moving in his strength. You're not moving in your own strength. Instead of pressing on into battle, the Lord directs Joshua to march the camp of Israel some 20 miles north and have a worship service. Actually, it was. It was a time of renewal. It was a time of fresh commitment to the Word of God and His leading within their lives. Moses had directed them back when they were in the wilderness. He says, hey, when you get into that new land, you need to have this time. You need to take this opportunity. This is going to help you remain focused on the reason why you're there. And it's going to allow the power of God to continue to work within you. It's going to allow you to once again declare your obedience and faithfulness to the plan of God in your life. And we need to do that on a regular basis. We need to do that individually. You need to do that as a family. At times, just stop and say, Lord, we are yours. We, we're, we're so busy trying to make things happen and trying to push things through and trying to manufacture things. Lord, we just want to stop and we want to recognize your authority, your leadership, your power in our lives as individuals, as families, and as a church. Some 25 miles north of Ai were two small little mountains with a valley in between them. It was Mount Ebal, which later becomes what's known as the Mount of Cursing, and Mount Gerizim, which has later become the Mount of Blessing. Verse 30 says that Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it's written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Amazing. Taking that much time, taking that much effort. Absolutely. And how desperately we need to do that. Individually, as families, and as a church. In the midst of all the busyness and the craziness of life. Again, a declaration that we know where our strength is, we know where our hope is, we know where our source is, and it's not in us. It's not in us rushing and pushing and manufacturing and being able to do it. No, Lord, you are our hope, you are our source. Verse 33 says, Then all of Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests. The Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, uh, and the stranger as well, as he who was born among them. What do you mean, the stranger? You do realize that as they came out of Egypt, a lot of Egyptians came with them. That it wasn't just the children of Israel. There were a lot of Egyptians that came with the children of Israel. And yet they, again, devoted themselves to the God of Israel. The stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim. The other half of them in front of Mount Ebal. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among us. It tells us that Joshua built this altar. And again, he built it uh, out of stones, uncut, my man. Stones that were just placed there. Again, because it's not the work of man that builds this altar. It is God's work. It's God's design. And then it says that he took other stones 
and he wrote on these other stones a copy of the law of Moses. How big were those stones? We don't really know. How much did he write? We really don't know. Some suggest, well, maybe he just wrote the Ten Commandments, but I believe that he wrote a whole lot more than that because, again, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, according to all that's written in the book of the law. How much did he write? I think that he wrote quite a bit. Some believe that Joshua could have taken the time to write a major portion even of our book that we know of the book of Deuteronomy where the law of God is laid out so well. It's not unknown thing for archaeologists to find these stones or these pillars that are engraved or inscribed again as they're digging through these things. And some of these stones, are they're surprisingly huge. They're filled with writing. It's not uncommon to find some of these stones, some of these pillars, uh, eight feet tall or eight feet long. And they're just filled with the engravings. And that's not an easy thing. It's not getting on a, um, a computer with a little uh, word program, ah, delete that, start all over again. No, this is engraved in stone. And you make a mistake there. There's no white out. There's no erase. There's no go back and do it. No, this is engraved in stone. And he's written all this. And I believe it was a huge stone. I believe that he wrote a lot. And I'm looking forward to that day that some archaeologist is going to be digging around that area and suddenly he finds this huge stone and has engraving on it, and they start digging this thing up, and it's going to be maybe a major portion of the book of Deuteronomy right there. I think that would be so like God to do that. We see that even now over in Israel where, man, for years and years, archaeologists and skeptics are saying, no, this didn't happen. No, the Bible didn't. No, this thing didn't happen. You know, we, we don't read anything in history or anything else about this individual or that individual or that event. And then suddenly, a few years later, an archaeologist digs through and finds something, and they're written on that is proof of what the Word of God says. Let God be true and every man a liar. We see, we understand these things. It's interesting that none of the finds of the archaeologists disprove the Bible. All the finds that they find just prove one more thing. The things that they say aren't true, it's simply because they haven't found them yet. Does that mean that it's not true? No, it just simply means they have not found them yet. God promised them that as long as they continued to be faithful to him, faithful to his commands, that he was not only going to give them the victory in the land, but they were going to prosper in that land. That they would know and that they would experience the sweetness, the blessing of his provision and the covering of his hand. Again, as long as you are obedient to me, I will watch over you. I will fight the battles for you. I will provide for you in supernatural ways. All you have to do is walk in obedience before me. I'll give a protective hand against the enemy. He'd already promised that I would fight all of your battles for you. But he's also told them that if you turn from him, if you began to, to chase after these foreign gods, turn back on his commands, that he was going to reject them, that he was going to pull his covering, and they were going to have punishment because of it. That was God's word. That was God's promise. I'll watch over you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you. I'll provide for you. Just be obedient. Just follow me. Is that so difficult? Is that so, you know? Well, it doesn't sound difficult. It's the living of it that becomes difficult, isn't it? I know that when we walk in faithfulness to the Lord, stuff still happens. There's no doubt about it. Stuff still happens. But you know what? In the midst of that, we can have the peace and the assurance that even in this, I know my God is more than able. My God is there with me. He gives me strength. 
He can give me peace in the midst of that. He can give me hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of fear. He can bring about life in the midst of the attack of the enemy. He can bring about assurances in my life that, you know, I can trust him, that I can stand firm in him. It was back in 1886, the evangelist Dwight L. Moody, he was holding a series of meetings in Massachusetts. And in the evenings, sometime during the meetings, he would have different ones, you know, from the congregation, from those in attendance, come up and share maybe a few words of what God has done and, or is doing in your life. One night, one young guy, not very well versed in, in Christian doctrine, he didn't have a whole lot of Bible knowledge with him, but he stepped forward. He, he wanted to share and he tried to share what the Lord had been doing in his life. And he struggled for words until he finally just simply said, well, I'm not quite sure, but I am going to trust. And I am going to obey. And I'd imagine that probably as he stepped off of that platform that he probably felt kind of silly. You know, man, I thought I had words all together. That's all I could think of. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I am going to trust. I am going to obey. He might have felt kind of silly, but God had other plans. Those simple words that he said, the guy that was leading music for Dwight L. Moody was a fellow by the name of Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey took those simple words, wrote them down, held on to them for a little while, and then he gave those words to a friend of his, a Presbyterian minister by the name of John Samus. Samus then took those simple words of a simple man who had a simple yet honest faith and trust that God was going to take care of his life, take care of his situation. And Samus wrote these words that are probably familiar to nearly all of us. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, that's the lesson that Israel had to learn. And learn and learn and learn and learn. And I mean, we, we go through the entire rest of the Old Testament. And they're relearning what they learned Again, if I trust and if I obey, I have that peace. I have that presence of God in my life. I'm glad that for you and I, we don't have to learn multiple times, do we? It didn't mean for Israel, even when they trusted and obeyed, as I said earlier, it didn't mean that they didn't have other battles in front of them. They had battles all of their existence. I mean, about the only time of peace that they had was when Solomon was king for a while. And then... I think that time of peace messed Solomon up because his focus got off on the wrong things. His presence was there. And when his presence was there, he went, God went through all of it with them and he would work his plan out in their lives. And that same promise is there for you and I. Not a promise of a battle-free life, but a promise of his presence and a promise of His power in our lives to be able to stand strong, see victory in the midst of battles as we trust and obey. 
Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the book of Joshua next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now, here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the book of Joshua. That's next time on The Open Word.